Hello, everybody. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. Welcome to the Daily Roundup here on Revel News. Very happy to be joined today by my colleague, Drea Humphreys. Drea, how are you doing? Good. I'm just noticing my hair is like extra big today. <laughs> Like, it's you fun. know, it has a mind of its own. And today it's people always say when they meet me in person, they're like, oh, you look taller in like on the video. And I'm like, no, it's just the hair. <laughs> but yeah, I'm I, good. I me the, and my hair are good. I, your hair looks awesome. I get the opposite. People see me in person. They're like, you're much larger than I expected. Really? Um, so like, oh, yeah, yeah. So it's, the, it's the opposite effect. I think they can zoom in in varying degrees. So we look the same sizes. And then in real life. <laughs> The the the, yeah. the camera the camera lies disappear. Um, so yeah, today is our uh, last um, live stream of the week. Very fortunate to have you here. Very much looking forward to this. It was a busy week uh, in Alberta. It was a busy week right across this country. We're going to talk about all of that. Before we get to that. Uh, I do want to go through some of the nuts and bolts of the day. If you're watching this, you're likely tuning in on Rumble, Odyssey, YouTube, Getter, any of those platforms. We're great to have you here grateful that you are joining us but i do want to encourage you consider switching over to one of the platforms like rumble rather than youtube that doesn't control what people say or censor media rumble right now is actually getting quite a bit of a heat for insisting and standing by some of its uh some of its uh, major sort of figures for ensuring that they have a platform so do support them the other cool thing with rumble is you can actually support us through Rumble via Rumble Rants. And it really is one of my favorite things. If you haven't done it before, you chip in a couple bucks, we read your comment, uh, provided it's something we can read, um, which usually on Rumble is fine. Uh, we read your comments, then we actually have a chance to engage with it. Other like, unlike the mainstream media who they just respond to government authorities and they and they give their feedback. We actually talk to the people that, people that we represent and that is you guys, the viewers. And finally, you can support us by joining on locals.com. You'll get access to all of the content that goes out on social media, but also some exclusive stuff. That's another way that you can support us. With that said, let's talk about some of the events this week, particularly the 1 million March for Children event. Drea, you covered a couple of these events. How did Tell us where you were and how did it go? That's right. I started off with the earliest one in our area so that I could tackle two. Um, it started at 9 a.m. I guess they wanted to get the kids right out of school and do that. And that was in Coquitlam. Um, so it's about 45 minutes out of Vancouver. And it surprisingly had a big turn in the past when there was a pro small protest against a dry queen story time. Hundreds of LGBTQ activists outnumbered uh, those protesters. It was completely reversed this time around. Right now you're seeing on the screen that people uh, started coming down in the hundreds down and they walked right past the much smaller group of LGBTQ activists who had taken over their space at City Hall. It was quite interesting because they really paid no attention to them and just kept walking straight by um, because, of course, they had already heard that the plans, the calls from the woke union to intimidate and take up space. So it was a, a very peaceful march altogether. There was lots of kids around. They just went around to the back of the city hall. And uh, yeah, it was it was really interesting to cover and see the difference in contrast between the last time there was a protest similar in the same city to now. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the people there coming there too. 
And then we, I made my way over to Surrey. Alex, Alex um, tackled Vancouver. Surrey, I believe, was our largest protest in mm-hmm. BC. And BC had a good chunk of the 92 cities that participated. They had 27 cities take wow. part in this. And Surrey was the largest. Um, there were a lot of Muslims. There were a lot of Sikhs. But there were also a lot of people of all faiths. I met quite a few people who said they were LGBTQ members. Um, they started, this is them at Bear Creek Park assembling King, much of King George Highway or a big chunk of it was sort of shut down as the march continued and made its way to Minister of Education Rashna Singh's office, where again, there were a much smaller number of counter protesters waiting from them in particular from the BC Teachers Federation union members from there and also from the Surrey Teachers Association, that was mostly who was waiting for them at the Minister of Education. I just wanna add one last thing on that. Like we all know sort of the the labels, the way that um, people were vilified, parents, families, concerned citizens for participating in this march, but the Surrey Teachers Association, they took it to even a more extreme level. They just flat out said to their union members, they just said, Um, And I think it's in the article there, but if not, they just said a bunch of hate groups are protesting across the country. Like that's how they summarize it. They said hate groups. And then they said, like, we want all basically teachers, our members to dress themselves in pride clothes as they're teaching to stand in solidarity. So I had teachers send me that information because, of course, they're feeling pressured. Now I can't even just teach if someone's yeah. marching outside of the class. Now I have to be a part of this. So quite ridiculous. Well, it, you you really touched on something important there. Like we've, we've talked for a long time about sort of depoliticization of the classrooms. And we're not talking about like the 90s, like politically correct movement where they were like, oh, everyone can be a little bit more sensitive. That wasn't, I mean, that was the roots of this, but it wasn't intentionally pushing a perspective. It was a general sort of talk about being tolerant and sensitive to these issues. What we're having having happen now is an extremely aggressive, agended, and ideological push within the schools across the board. And it seems unanimous. And unions that should be focusing on quality of education, class size, pay for teachers, um, perhaps equity for teachers who identify as part of this community and experience something adverse. Sure, that all makes sense. But they're becoming absolutely Mm -hmm. active on issues that have nothing to do with their purview. Um, And and I had, I think it was Marty up north said, this is like the death of unions. Like they're not doing their jobs anymore. They're just wading into contentious territory. Um, The other thing that's really sort of vexing here is that you heard this, I heard this, the sentiment is simple. These parents are saying, we want the LGBTQ people with us. This isn't anti-them mm-hmm. or anti-this. They're saying a public school shouldn't be teaching pro-Islamic, pro-Catholic, pro-LGBTQ. Right. Like these are isms. And I mean, I, I I prescribe to one of these isms, so I'm not against them. But they're saying the school should be focusing <laughs> on mathematics, history, whatever it may be. Yeah. If the school is private and it's about Catholicism or it's publicly funded Catholic education people decide to send their kids to, that's a different story. Parents have made their choices, but they're miscategorizing what's happening whatsoever. And sorry, go ahead. You had something to weigh in there. 
No, I was just going to think maybe the answer is we need like a social justice warrior private school. <laughs> you know, yeah. you want your kids to be, you know, in the divisive box and and constantly uh, saying you're the oppressor, you're not the oppressor and, and whatever. Mm -hmm. Have your social justice warrior schools. We'll have the, you know, the keep the public schools the same. The Bible was ripped out of the school library. So why is that, you know? cartoon yeah. porn or whatever you want to call it okay so exactly yeah. we're going to talk about that the author of some of that content saying it isn't appropriate for these schools as everybody knows but the thing is these folks have adopted perspectives like the the amount of people who are chanting i don't know if you heard this like you don't own your kids well yeah like yeah. in a sense you do maybe not ownership and yeah. that that's like a that's a very sort of negative word but like the state doesn't right. and that's what that's really what they think they aren't making reasonable uh, perspectives about like oh well yeah. we, we have to have balance there have to has to be safeguards i i did have the opportunity to speak with some people at previous protests unfortunately for this one uh we we weren't really able to given the some of the circumstances we didn't exactly have security um and there were some concerns about altercations so we yeah. remained on the other side of the street we have spoken to people who are like no there needs to be controls there can't be inappropriate content there are folks from the other side but it generally very much seems like a sort of group think like monolithic mindset where no if you're saying parents are the primary educators of their children we're against that that's wrong that's the most mm -hmm. basic thing a another question i had for you though there um and it's something a few people brought up to me it wasn't that egregious I i'll be the first one to call out and criticize calgary police i've seen uh, most of the brutality that, that that's happened at their hands um, recently. So I've experienced that firsthand. But what was what was the sort of policing like? Did you see anything questionable? Were they just kind of maintaining the peace? What did you experience in that sense? Yeah, it was interesting between the two cities, there was quite a different approach from the police in Coquitlam, they were sort of standoffish, they, they didn't really seemed like they were going too close to the protests. And again, it was um, largely a peaceful protest. Um, then Surrey, they, you know, they separated them. Uh, the teachers union people <clears throat> were literally behind a fence. Someone said it's almost like they're caged animals in a zoo that like they're looking at. And then there was this face off. But it almost, in my opinion, it almost seemed like the police sort of added to the tensions. And mm. then they were being a little weird with me. There were two interactions where, you know, I just tried to go by and get you know the faces of one side and then do a loop and do the faces of the other and when I did the loop an officer stopped me and and said no like you have to go over there and I said well no I'm getting my shot here and he said no and I just went a few st steps and ignored him and then I was able to actually interview um, you know a teacher and someone with the BC Teachers Federation for like 10 minutes so basically that officer would have impeded me from getting the other side you know, the side right. of the counter protest, which is infringing on the press. So I, I did that scan. And then another time there was um, some yelling going back and forth between the teachers union and the uh, parental rights protesters. And so I'm trying to get that. And again, an officer is like, um, and so again, this is Surrey RCMP and officers like get to this side. And I said, why are you picking the side for me? Like I'm the press. Yeah. Why are you telling me I can only stand here? I choose this side then. I want to go on this side and you wouldn't let me. Uh, and yeah. I hear, heard him say to our security, uh, like, can you make her listen? And the security said something like, it's not my job. I'm here to keep her safe or something. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was uh, my personal interaction with them. Yeah. Yeah, no, but it was interesting. In yeah, in Calgary. So like, 
the the only thing I really noticed at one point, one person, we were kind of walking up. I got the edge of it. You can see the start of it in a report, and after that, a bit of an altercation um, pursues. But it's yelling and kind of reaching. No, nothing too much came of it. The police did break it up, but at one moment, and you can just barely see it in the distance. I don't even know if we included it in the report, but uh, someone kind of shoved someone, a, a counter protester mm -hmm. shoved one of the parents' rights folks. Um, and the cops like hauled him across the street, like really aggressively. Um, so they, they did do some separation in that sense. Um, as we've seen, cause there's been, a, I think there's been more protests like this in Calgary than anywhere else. Um, what they've done is they just yeah. keep them on opposite sides of the street. Um, right. Often you will see the counter protesters trying to go. Yeah, it's right. right actually, this the shot we're looking at right now, just uh, up ahead a little bit, is where this happened, and the guy was hauled across the street. And then shortly you'll see some of the uh, interact. You can see I my 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 uh, foot speed accelerates as I start to notice something. But uh, um, yeah, so the uh, the police were generally keeping people separated, keeping people safe on opposite sides of the street. The one thing that was kind of interesting though that I noticed, and I'm like, well, what what is this exactly? A few of the more sort of aggressive counter protesters they'd move ahead and they'd be like blocking at city hall or standing somewhere for people to go by mm -hmm. and the police would generally immediately get to them but after some altercations sort of erupted and things got tense the the police were keeping them separated and the police just left like this yeah this scene right here so right after this unfolded uh the police mm -hmm. paramedics you mm -hmm. see there they kind of just peeled out and then everything sort of de-escalated and they were just talking and no one was shoving. So it was interesting to see the pushing and shoving only happened when the cops were there. I was kind of concerned because I'm standing there. The police leave right after this, but then nothing else happened. Yeah. So it, it, it did remain peaceful. Uh, definitely a pretty solid attendance. There's about a thousand people. I know some people are saying it's 500. Some people are saying it's thousands. I'd say... I, yeah. I guessed 1,000 protesters, 100 counter-protesters. Calgary police estimated the same numbers. They had drones in the air, which just coincidentally, we said the exact same numbers. But uh, um, so it was a decent turnout. But the message is clear. They're saying, like, this isn't anti-you. We need to return to the basics. Right. There, there isn't hatred here. Yeah. In any crowd, you're going to have elements. You're going to be able to find people, of probably course. more people on the other side who are saying some pretty wild things um but you're gonna you're gonna be able to find elements on both sides but everyone we talk to very calm very collected uh sharing the very simple mm -hmm. sentiment of, of not pushing inappropriate content on children yeah uh, interestingly I mean, now we get, in, science, yeah. get into some politics here uh, conservative mps told not to talk to media post about <sighs> parental rights protests now uh, I'll read a bit of this and then we'll get into it. But uh, conservative MPs were told not to post online or talk to media about competing protests on Parliament Hill that saw protesters clashing over how schools should handle LGBTQS2 plus issues. Uh, the Canadian press obtained a copy of the message sent to members of Pierre Polyev's caucus, which warned them not to speak publicly about the issue and provided talking points they could use to communicate with their constituents. <sighs> if you look like most of these protests, the numbers were 10 to one. Oh, Daniel yeah. Smith and Pierre Polyevre, the test of whether they're actually conservatives. And this isn't contentious mm -hmm. because <laughs> if you're, if you're a progressive LGBTQ parent and you want to push that on your kid, you're right. As a parent, as primary educator is preserved by this. Exactly. The only right. thing being stated here is that people shouldn't push their personal convictions on other people's kids. That is something that everyone should absolutely agree to period right across the board and, it, it's not and, it's, it's sensible go ahead yeah no i just wanted to add one thing and a main concern is that they shouldn't be encouraging kids to keep secrets from their parents that's a really big one with all of yes. those parents so yeah. 
Yeah. Well, when you do training to sort of catch folks who might be trying to get involved in ministry or youth programming, when you do that screening process, the things you learn to look for are establishing of secrets. It creates like a sort of special club, not that they'd establish clubs in schools that keep secrets away from your parents. That is the start. And this is not contentious because it's the very definition of grooming behavior. That's literally the first step you watch for. So you look for people who have a pattern of spending lots of time with kids and then establishing secrets with kids that they don't share with their parents. Mm -hmm. So that's not a contentious perspective. But what I was getting to was that this issue for Pierre Polyevre and Danielle Smith, I think is going to be like the litmus test. You don't have to come off as hatred in fact, it shouldn't come off as hatred to say that parents are the primary educators of their children. There are already rules in effect. If someone abuses, if some deadbeat abuses their child exactly. because they identify as something, if they're physically abusive or emotionally abusive, there's already metrics in place. Now, nobody wants to put a kid through group homes or, or social services or whatever it may be, but there are systems in place right. for abuse if that's taking place. Teachers exactly. have a responsibility to report it. So those things are already in place. Politicians can stand firm on this and say, listen, you are the mm-hmm. person who establishes the values as long as they're not criminal and you're not hurting your children. Or exactly. Whatever. Yeah. I think it's universally yeah, it's, agreeable. They have an easy out. You're right. They, we have the laws, we have the laws for neglect and things like that. And one of the things teachers used to be taught to look out for and as a sign or anybody who works with kids as a sign that a child might have been in trouble, like sexually groomed or sexually assaulted, is the fact that the child knows too much about sex. And now it's like, well, are they just reading a book in the library or something weird going on at home? So we've sort of diffused these healthy boundaries. But you're absolutely right. It's it's very reminiscent of the Conservative Party shutting their mouth during the egregious discriminatory vaccine mandates. We're hearing the exact same rhetoric being said about these parents. They're far right extremists. They're hateful, they're bigots, they're fascists. It's literally the exact same smearing campaign that we heard about the unvaccinated. Even though it's a predominantly Muslim-led initative, they're still being told they're being controlled by white nationalists. So it's literally textbook the same. And we saw how many of conservatives' own people were so annoyed that they took so long and they waited till the trucker convoy to be able to speak uh, and represent their constituents. And so this really reminds uh, me of that again. Now, I love a good meme. I shared a couple quick memes. They're they're very quick. <laughs> it's just poking fun, you know, conservatives poking fun at uh, Pierre Polyev over the stand. And I just want to say, because every other live stream, we've been saying good things about Pierre Polyev. And I yeah. know some people get annoyed in the comments, but this is how we roll. You, you do something like this, we're going to say it like it is. So there's that, yeah. where is Pierre, 1 million March. And I love the, the the thing on the top that says, can you help find his glasses? And then at the <laughs> bottom, it says they're a clue. It's a clue. It says, Here's a clue. He's not anywhere in the book. <laughs> so I don't know. I found that funny. And then there's a That's quick good. little video I, uh, I put in there. It's really quick if we can play that. But it's more poking fun on missing the mark completely on the opportunity to stand for parental rights. Yeah. So I just want to be clear. I was at the demonstration yesterday, but I chose to maintain a disguise. I was hiding in the bushes, waiting for the opportune time to speak out. It hasn't come yet. I'm still here. It's getting cold. 
I need to pee. <laughs> I know it's Pretty silly, good. but the point is yeah. you're missing the mark here. We saw that conservative yeah. vote between delegates that went around. When it comes to this issue, most conservatives are saying, hey, leave the kids alone, give them a healthy, loving environment, support them. And then when they're 18, they can make you know some really big decisions and don't indoctrinate them in school. Well, and this is the thing is like the, the people advocating for this, they're advocating for a one track push into this. They're not saying let's implement safeguards for children who are experiencing abuse. Let's give access to uh, like like support uh, sort of networks, whether it be professional counseling or whatever it is, that's objective and not pushing people down one route. Uh, they're not saying let's implement new reporting mechanisms for teachers to make it easier if they're concerned about this. All those things would be steps that ensure that these kids are being protected as best as possible. This is about pushing an agenda, agenda categorically. That's all that this is about. Um, now it continues yeah. here in Alberta with uh, Notley demanding that Smith remove uh, from caucus and Emily who smoke, spoke at a uh, protest. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting that uh, we already saw um, from Red Deer, a, a school board uh, representative effectively uh, ejected for uh, some, some comments and MLA ejected a school board trustee, all seemingly around Red Deer. But during the election, someone said, if there is some of this radical ideology being pushed in schools even if we have really good grades like confusing children is and they use the term poop and brownies now all the media took this to mean they're saying the kids are that they were saying that the yeah. anyways they were ejected they still won but they were ejected from the ucp um then we saw a school board trustee i believe or, uh, or someone high up within the school boards anyways uh speaking on some of these issues they were also ejected so th this is going to be a test now uh, uh the red deer <laughs> south uh, MLA Jason Steffen uh, attended this event and I'm sure made very sensible comments about how parents are the primary educators. Like, uh, I'm sure they didn't say anything wild or uh, unreasonable. This isn't the case of the mm -hmm. uh, uh, the school trustee who did the comparison of the LGBTQ flag with the, the sort of Hitler youth flags, which if you're talking historically, are there some comparables behind some of the sort of strategies leading up to the events sure but is that necessarily the most eloquent comparison probably not um but anyways the ndp calling for this guy now to be ejected uh from caucus ejected yeah. from the party um heaven forbid someone should come out and say something reasonable as a conservative uh, of course leave it to the ndp to uh, fear monger and mischaracterize what's happening here again but hopefully yeah. i think this is a good test for smith if she's like no uh, my MLAs represent their constituents and they can come. Nothing he right. said I disagree with. Um, so I'm hoping there's some sort of statement, um, but we, we shall see what comes of this. What do you make of this pressure to uh, remove uh, MLAs one by one? Of course, Christopher Wells is here, a sensible and balanced voice on all issues. Uh, but uh, what, what do you mm -hmm. make of this uh, effort to eject any politicians and brand anyone involved as hateful? Well, I mean, I'm not surprised. Again, I, I think it's very similar to what we saw during COVID-19 mandates, and it's it worked so effectively. It did pressure people to do what the state wanted them to do at mass, um, and it did build this false narrative. So I think they're almost addicted to this rhetoric. It's worked. Council culture has been so effective, but I think we're finally starting to see a shift where 
they've used certain words like hate and racism and bigotry and fascism. They've used it so many times that it's lost its meaning. It's lost its purpose. Everybody knows a family member who's unvaccinated. Everybody knows a family member who thinks that drag queen story times are inappropriate for kids. So it's like, I think people, the general public is a little exhausted with this. And so they can keep pushing and pushing, but eventually it's just going to I think it's getting to the point where it's not going to mean a whole lot. Um, I don't know how long it's going to take to get there, but that's sort of my take on what's happening. Well, and that's just exactly it. It's like it it disparages actual instances when you're calling everyone mm-hmm. using this extreme language for everything. Someone's like, I don't necessarily yeah. agree with you, and they're a bigot, um, which sort of transitions into our next story because um, while most people probably would acknowledge some of this inappropriate content in schools. Um, is, well, inappropriate. A lot of politicians who will weigh in on everything under the sun on this issue, they haven't made anything of the borderline pornography or outright pornography that's being pushed in schools. Uh, Gender Queer by uh, Maya Kobabe, excuse my pronunciation on that, um, is one of the books that's been very contentious, and I've not seen very many progressives. I interviewed one individual who's part of the counter-protest a couple weeks back. They said that this has no place in schools, so there's some folks, but yeah. the author of this book, who goes by pronouns A-M yeah. and Air, clarified that the book may be suitable for older, sort of maturing teens. It's certainly not advised for kids. The author of Gender Queer, a graphic novel containing explicit sexual material that has been found in public school libraries nationwide, has sparked controversy among parents and asserts that the book is not intended for children. It's funny, the hungry caterpillar is being removed, everything else, 1984, like everything from innocent children's books. Diary. Yeah, Anne Frank's Diary. Um, But you know what, this uh, Maya Kobabe, per the... uh, definitions maybe the fact they're saying that this isn't for children maybe they're part of this radical fearful or sorry maybe em air is part of this radical hateful group and that's really what it is if you question any of this say that this isn't for kids you're also part of the extreme radical fringe according to these people but it's nice to see even among the folks here who are writing this stuff they're like well this this isn't for kids it's not appropriate Uh, nice to see some sensibility coming out of even the authors behind some of these uh contentious matters What do you think? Right. Yeah. No, I think it's so good that we published that article because people do need to know. And that certainly is one of the most egregious books that parents are taking issue. And it hasn't just been given to high schools. In some cases, it has been in middle school libraries as well. And the author is like, oh, you know, wait a second here. This is for older teens. But even that is... Uh, you know, something to argue about. I don't want to get into the details, but there's there's a gross interaction between siblings there that is just yeah, completely, uh, completely inappropriate, no matter what yeah. age you are and things like that. Um, but also one thing I do want to touch on, because a lot of parents, a lot of people think this is pornography. And I can agree with that. But from a legal standpoint, I did uh, do an interview with a criminal defense lawyer who has defended, um, you know, people accused of some heinous crimes, including sexual assault of minors and molestation. And, you know, she clarified that, you know, what's happening here is these learning resources are approved. And that's really the real issue here. So once these things are approved to be in the schools, you can't call them pornography because pornography has an intent behind it. And the intent is supposed to be not for educational purposes. It's supposed to be for sexual arousal. So this is where the trick comes. This is why these books are allowed in our schools and um, not considered pornography is simply because they're being 
being approved through, you know, organizations like SOGI123, which are not a government organization. So it's it's a really sick rabbit hole. And it's nice to see that, you know, Rebel News, we've been reporting on SOGI123 uh, since before I started three years ago, but it's nice to see how many parents are paying attention and going, well, what the heck is this? Something is completely wrong. So, well, and for those of you tuning ahead. in who don't know, we put all of our coverage on this issue, including our nationwide or many locations across Canada at stopclassroomgrooming.com. If you have any family who's like, doesn't know about this, that is a great place to send them because they can scroll down and see all the articles we've ever done on this topic. And there's even a petition there that you can sign and share. And we are delivering that to all the ministers of education because who knows, maybe they don't even know what's in schools. Maybe they really do think it's just a bunch of bigotry and hate. So we've got to get the message out of what the people are really concerned about. Absolutely. Yeah. Critical to be covering this. And listen, for folks who are on the other side of this conversation, things have been going a certain way for a long time. Things have been trending uh, progressive. That's undeniable. But I mean, if you look at this objectively, you have to realize that it's gone too far. And and what you don't want to yeah. do is continue to make this movement. And you look at groups like Gays Against Groomers that are trying to counteract this. You don't want to make the entire movement that was about freedom, that was about all these other things. The amount of people who are from the sort of old guard LGBTQ community are like, this isn't our movement. Um, you don't want <laughs> yeah. to make it about something else altogether. Um, and, and that's what's happening now. Basically, uh, progress that has been made, if you're a traditional LGBTQ person, um, well, that that's that's being done away by, by so much of this radical push. And it's be, becoming about other issues that aren't critical to to sort of the movement, to fighting for, this is really, it's funny, it, this movement was about fighting for freedom, establishing equal rights, lots of things that freedom folks would be inclined for, and lots of things that people of the LGBTQ who are in the freedom movement see align. But this, this right. modern thing, taking over education, taking over schools, indoctrinating people, that's the opposite. And if it was radical Christians or uh, Islam or whatever it was, pushing these perspectives you'd be extremely concerned. Mm -hmm. So look at it from the other perspective, if it was happening to you rather than by you, something to consider. Uh, we're Absolutely. due for a quick ad break. Uh, I've got a couple really interesting events though that I wanna tell you about uh, before we roll into that ad break. Uh, and these are incredible events, very fortunate. One of them coming to Calgary, another one that's gonna be in Edmonton as well as Calgary. Don't miss the conservative event of the year on November 16th, the Wilberforce Project will host Ben Shapiro in Calgary. Ben Shapiro is one of the best conservative commentators in the world. His live appearances are legendary for showcasing his quick thinking and stalwart defense of common sense principles. He's the host of the Ben Shapiro Show, a syndicated columnist, lawyer, best-selling author, and America's most watched pro-life advocate, known for his ingenious debates, job-dropping opinions, and relentless ability to tackle the hottest cultural topics of our times. Tickets to this event can be purchased at benshapirolive.ca. It's one night only. Tickets will surely sell out. Go to benshapirolive.ca right now to get your tickets. Also, and this is a new event that we're just starting to promote, but it's coming up quick, so I want to bring it to your attention right away. Dr. James Lindsay, who is a frequent guest of both Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson, and the host of the New Discourse podcast, is coming to Alberta for the first time. Dr. Lindsay will be speaking directly to the dangers of critical theory and its gender ideology uh, that are pushing their way into children's classrooms. What's more, he's going to teach us how to fight back against it in the most effective ways 
possible. You don't want to miss this. Tickets are selling fast. You can get yours today. That is being run by Take Back Alberta. So you can get those tickets on their website. October 2nd and October 3rd are the dates. And it's going to be an incredible event, really. He's published a bunch of academic articles. So for those unfamiliar with Dr. James Lindsay that are kind of poking fun at the internal logic, of radical yeah. progressivism, and he gets them published by using their buzzwords. So a very interesting figure. Those events coming up soon. I did an interview with David Parker of Take Back Alberta. They've, they've been trying to cancel this. Venues have canceled. They're trying to make this not happen. Purchase some tickets. Make sure that that happens. But how fortunate are we in Calgary particularly, but also in Edmonton? Because uh, Ben Shapiro is coming here. Dr. James Lindsay is coming. Yeah. We've got events. <laughs> There's more events coming. So stay tuned. Very much looking forward to all of those. Uh, we're going to jump to a quick ad break and then we're going to come back with some more uh, uh live stream today come on out november 25th it's all aboard the freedom train in niagara on the lake you can check rebel news for updates and also the freedom passport site tamara leach who led the truckers convoy will be sharing the stage with some of the finest international recording artists like the Chops Horns from New York City, who's played with Alicia Keys, Stevie Wonder, the Rolling Stones, and many more. Plus, New World Sun, just off a European tour, and the legendary R&B master, Leroy Emanuel. Get on the freedom train with Tamara Leach. Saturday, November 25th at Niagara-on-the-Lake Central Community Center, 680 York Road. Get your tickets today at freedompassport.ca. The freedom train is coming. Know your rights. Know your freedoms. Hey, Ben Shapiro here. This November, the Wilberforce Project is bringing me to Canada. If you want to fight the woke machine destroying families, join me in Calgary for my talk, hosted by the Wilberforce Project. Go to benshapirolive.ca for info and tickets. I was reading through that uh, Shapiro thing quick. I feel like I was starting to sound a little bit like Ben Shapiro when I was ripping through that. He's uh, he's concise and terse. <laughs> so I like fast. it. Yeah, looking <laughs> forward to that. That's going to be fun. You know, it's interesting. You look right across Canada. Uh, Justin Trudeau's popularity is plummeting. He's not likely to lead the country moving forward. But the Alberta NDP are doing a very weird thing. Um, which is apparently they're on Team Trudeau because everything that they're they're taking publicly seems to be in favor of federal initiatives. Um, Albertans are very, very sort of strong uh, about uh, pushing back, as particularly in Alberta here, against the 2035 agenda. They have their own 2050 agenda. So that that's that's that seems to be resonating with people. Maybe you have a different vibe in BC, but you you take that you take that strong pushback. And then what you have the the NDP doing is siding with the federal government, pushing this 2035 agenda. They haven't criticized the government for saying, uh, Stephen Gilboa, uh, environment minister, for saying China can take until 2060. Apparently that's okay. But they are happy to criticize Daniel Smith um, and the Alberta government for having a practical outline for 2050. Frankly, I don't really care about net zero, but the, the, the Alberta government is likely to get it done. Doesn't mean much to me. Um, so that, that's that's concerning to me. Because Albertans don't like Trudeau, Canadians don't like Trudeau, and yet the NDP is pushing the Trudeau narrative. And it's not only on environmental matters, it's also on the CPP conversation. Adria, as someone from outside of Alberta, I would love to get your perspective on this conversation. I don't know if you know too much about it, but this this thought of sort of provincializing and localizing the, the pension plan. 
Yeah, no, I, I must admit, I haven't weighed too deeply into it. Um, I'm just kind of looking at some of the feedback and the comments of the posts that Rachel Notley did. And it looks like just based on her Twitter, there isn't a whole lot of pushback against her. So I'm trying to get a feel for it. Um, but it's not surprising to me that it is similar to the talking points of the liberals. They're, they're kind of copying that stance because it's you have to separate yourself I guess is what they're thinking so this is the yeah. way to do it and they're not going to agree with anything that yeah. Danielle Smith says and say oh that looks like a good plan so of course they're going to have to try to find a way to attack it and so their strategy is to emulate the crumbling liberal party I guess yeah. you know it, it's part of the fear-mongering though and don't get me wrong my favorite things about the this this with the the Alberta government I'm going to say some good and some bad the good thing is they're saying here's some information for you if we do this it's going to be a referendum that is very good grassroots governance they're not saying we're going to mm -hmm. do this to you we're not going to overstep we're not going to yeah. do this to you that is very good the only and the the idea of bringing it locally to Alberta, a hundred percent in favor of that makes sense. The CPP is also a disaster as far as not its investment. It's actually more successful. It's one of the most successful investment firms uh, compared to even private industry sectors. The CPP is bizarrely good and does above average at investing funds. So that that's a that's a mark on the other side because we want to be objective about this but the fact is is the amount of money going in the amount of coming money coming from alberta that's helping pay for other parts of the country um we'd be better off on our own so we're helping the other country in pretty significant ways but do we risk mm -hmm. the relatively successful investments for that my opinion is yes because ultimately i don't trust the federal government and this is my problem with this tweet mm. is Rachel Notley, the Alberta NDP will do everything to, in power to protect your retirement and economic security. It's your pension plan. Your pension is yours. It doesn't belong to Daniel Smith. No, but what she's saying is that it belongs to the federal government and it belongs yeah. to Justin yeah. Trudeau. They're, they're saying that this pension is yours and the Alberta government's trying to take it. No, Justin Trudeau has it right now. The federal right. government has it right now, and Daniel Smith is trying to make it Albertan local so that we can mm. monitor it. And Alberta's better at economics generally. We generally, we, we manage to have surpluses. Yes. We tend to do pretty well. So because the CPP is successful, I'm a little bit torn more than I think I would be. But I do think that this is, this is probably the responsible decision going forward, as long as there is a sensible economic plan and investment plan in place. We've seen the Alberta government weigh into investments. Frankly, I'd like to have the funds go into a personal thing that people can invest and be accountable for themselves, not the CPP. But yeah, it, the fact that their entire angle is this is your pension, we're going to protect it. Yeah, they're saying we're, we want to take it from Ottawa and put it in Alberta. That that feels more like yours to me. I don't know what you think. Well, it sounds like we definitely need an article point spelling that out for people because when people hear something about happening to their, you know, pension, of course yeah. their heart skips a beat for a little bit and they're like, no, no, we don't yeah. want it to do Danielle Smith. So you're laying it out really perfectly there, and it does make a lot of sense. Um, yeah. And it would be interesting, I guess, from over here in BC to see what Alberta would do with that if they do switch it up like that, how that would work out. I know that there are a lot of people, elderly people that are concerned about their pension as is and, and whether or yeah. not when they actually need it, I suppose not elderly people, maybe middle aged people, whether or not they're going to get what they think they deserve at the end of it. So um, right. it would be I would be interested watching from BC to see <laughs> the change. Well, and, and, and to Daniel Smith and the government, I'm sure someone in the, in the, in the 
hierarchy is watching this probably right now. Um, it would be really great because we there's some tensions about obviously we leave the pension. You take some of that. Um, the the numbers that the government put out are like something like half of the pension would be withdrawn. Other people are saying that's not possible. I'm not an economic expert. So if there is somebody who could really state this case, potentially the people um, who, who, who pre prepared this report, but if there is someone who can speak to this authoritatively, we'd love to. Ultimately, our job is to get facts out to people. So uh, feel free to send me an email if you're someone within uh, this sort of, uh, sort of advocating for yeah. this within the government um, who can break this down very factually, get rid of the fear, get rid of the hysteria, and get those facts out to the folks. Um, that would be great. Mm -hmm. um, in, in other news, and it was incredibly interesting, uh, I want to touch really quickly before we get into this Eritrean protest uh, and, and some of those details. Jeez. The police actually put it's out craziness. a tweet the other day. Yeah, the police put a tweet the other day, and it, no one is more critical of the police. We just had to take legal action to protect some of our footage from them. Um, so yeah. there, there's concerns with the Calgary police. I personally was on hand as they hauled pastors away. So you're not getting much sympathy. Um, but there is the consideration that that was enforcement of, of court orders. And now with the recent arrest, okay. not this Eritrean thing, they brought in a bunch of illegal firearms and we're talking about prohibited being held publicly and loaded, not responsible firearm loadership, drugs, everything, serious right. criminals. Um, and they basically arrested them and they were released on bail while pastors aren't. Mm. So the, the police actually weighed yeah. in on this and said that, the, that they, they can't do their jobs if courts are doing mm -hmm. this. So I've got a lot of criticism for the Calgary police, but it's interesting. You see Danielle Smith saying the rule of law will be enforced. There's not going to be selective prosecution. Things are going to change. And then the police actually yeah. tweeting publicly, basically, it's almost a condemnation of the courts for letting these people go. An interesting shift. Now, uh, we talked about the Eritrean protest. 150 people engaged in a melee. I saw the destruction firsthand. Businesses, windows broken. Yeah. People scared to, wow. pre to speak out. Um, it, it, it was brutal, like the amount of businesses that experienced mm -hmm. damage and were screaming. Well, I went into that shop, actually, uh, that, 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 that the people were filming in um, and, and spoke to them and they couldn't believe what was happening, but they didn't want to say anything on camera for fear that there would be yeah. a reprisal. Um, so they are yeah. now, there was 150 people involved in this. There is a lot of footage and I can assure you there's security footage of the area so they could get people's faces. Um, so the police have released photos of 16 persons of interest that they are seeking. Now, I hope that this is the start, not the end, because if they basically just arrest 16 people and, and lay charges, no, 150 people intentionally came out and, and, and led to a melee. So 16 charges mm -hmm. will not suffice. Everyone needs to be held accountable for this, especially we mm -hmm. saw the crackdown on peaceful protests taking place, not, not just in Calgary, but obviously right across this country. Uh, journalists yeah. are being charged with assault right now and cops basically ran them over. Um, so they cannot have soft gloves on this. If they volley some, no. I mean, I, I'm, I'm hoping to do an update on this, but if they issue some soft charges to 16 people when 150 people got together seeking to cause disruption and have a melee, that's unacceptable. But hopefully... I'm always hopeful, maybe too hopeful, the police will do the right thing. Maybe they've already identified 20 other people, 30 other people, and they're trying to lock down these last 16 people. Um, I know they have a task force designated to this, and yeah. they said that a lot of charges are coming. Um, but to the Calgary Police Service, we're definitely going to be covering this story as it unfolds. And you, you better believe that there has to be firm enforcement of the laws, because we can't have Calgary turning into this place where melees erupt on a regular basis. Well, it must have been a struggle for Global News to have to show their faces. <laughs> I shouldn't say that, but anyways, but yeah, no, I need to see a lot more than uh, 
16, but at least they're 16, because who knows, they could have even been softer on that. But I'm sure as you follow up, there will be more to come, because like you're saying, the businesses must be absolutely pissed about this. And that's quite scary. I mean, if you let this go by without being properly handled, there will be more. You have to handle this tough. And thankfully, you guys have a new sheriff in town with Danielle Smith, who's saying enough is enough of this. Um, you know, you see the I'm thinking of Derek, Pastor Derek, um, you know, getting yeah. hauled off and arrested and things like that right away. So uh, and then later again, when they're peacefully praying and things like that. So this is nuts. And that that's very scary, very frightening. We've seen what's happened in the States with some of these more violent sort of riot style issues and things like that. And so we don't want it in Canada. No, certainly yeah. not. We're going to jump to one more quick ad break here, and then we're going to cruise through the rest of the stories, make sure we get everyone out of here on time today. Justin Trudeau's new All censorship right. law, Bill C-18, it's a shakedown and a desperate attempt to keep the mainstream media afloat. Many have already lost their ability to access our Facebook and Instagram pages. The blackout will soon affect every user in Canada. We've partnered with Private Internet Access, a VPN provider dedicated to safeguarding digital privacy. For just $2 a month, you can maintain your access to our content across all your devices at piavpn.com slash rebelnews. So uh, more residential school news, um, and forgive me because I'm certainly not going to pronounce this correctly, Stolo Nation, I apologize because I'm sure that's wrong, uh, says 158 children died at Fraser Valley Residential Schools Institutions. Um, what's interesting here is that I think that there is a responsibility to be careful when we're reporting this thing because so many yeah. headlines lately whenever you hear deaths at mm -hmm. residential schools. And when you're posting an article like this, it's to get clicks, um, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, it's to report the news, but it's also to get clicks. Um, and there's also an editor's warning saying there's disturbing stories and content. But what 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 happens here is when you actually look at the story, um, it's that the majority yeah. of deaths took place in hospitals. So p effectively mm -hmm. sick people were getting care and then passed, which tended to happen. Also, I hate to break the news to people, but uh, more people used to die than do now and quite frequently. Yes. Um, healthcare wasn't what it, what it was. Yeah, exactly. At their age is younger children. Um, so this is, I, they're laying down some facts. They're stipulating that that children died in residential schools. But we, we know that because when you look at the records in most of these places, you can speak to Kamloops. I can speak to some of the areas around Calgary, but very often people got sick. There's tuberculosis epidemics. There was all mm -hmm. these things. Mm -hmm. And then they were buried. Um, and sometimes those burial sites were lost. Those aren't the mass graves that they're talking about. Those are like lost cemeteries right. that they, that they uncover historically. But uh, the way that this is being pushed as though it's another discovery, but it's basically an affirmation of mm -hmm. known historical facts. We can see that exactly. at Kamloops. We can see that at other places. Uh, but it, I don't know what your thoughts are on this. The sentiment, like we know people died. They're kind of presenting this as though it's a new discovery, which I guess it's it's historical yeah. research. But what do you think? Right. And I mean, it, it is newsworthy, but I think you're you're right about how it's sort of being pitched with that big like, oh, this is very disturbing and things like that. Um, but it's very much like when they talked about unmarked graves, that wasn't even a new discovery of sorts. There was already, right. like they said, oral testimonies, ru rumors. When you look at the Truth and Reconciliation report that had come out years earlier, you saw that they talked about it. I 
forget the archaeologist's name, but he had written a report called Where Are the Children Buried, where he said, I, you know, I think maybe in Kamloops there, there might be a graveyard kind of thing. And so now that we see that a lot of these oral testimonies, um, you know, linked to the unmarked graves are not sort of panning out, you have an article like this coming out and saying, look, 158 people died. Statistically, it is proven that most people, especially online, they're getting their information online. They're not reading full articles. So a lot of people, um, without having it really spelled out for them, think, oh, there's proof of the murdered kids. And it says uh, with certainty, but like you said, a lot of this stuff is already documented that illness was a huge factor. I will acknowledge that it looks though that, you know, sometimes the kids were not um, getting enough food. And sometimes you saw schools saying to the government, we don't have enough to feed these yeah. kids too. Um, but also like in Kamloops, for example, 20 minutes away from the former Kamloops Indian Residential School, you had an entire sort of town set up for tuberculosis called Tranquil. It's, it's really creepy now. It's abandoned now. But to the point that so many people were getting sick during the time that that school was in operation, that they had to have like underground tunnels at that uh, location. The houses had underground tunnels because if people just died from being sick, they would go under. And that was um, not just for, you know, Indian children or it was for everybody. So it's like, we have to remember the time, like you said, that people died earlier. And of course it is sad. These kids were taken from their parents and then died in, in a school away from their family. That's horrible. But this is not, hey, this is 158 murdered kids. Yeah. And if you read the article, it does get to that point that that's not what your this discovery, which isn't really a discovery. It's just quite a ways and, down. You know, it makes that point clear. Piece. Yeah, yeah, quite a ways quite down. A ways down. We're the knowing thing that I do. The thing that I do want to say here is, is obviously, like there's the term genocide goes around a lot. Um, there was an attempt at cultural genocide, if you want to call it that, because the federal yeah, government, culture. not the churches, but the federal government was very clear that they wanted to sort of get rid of uh, First Nations, Indian culture, as they called it, and, right. and uh, assimilate people. So there was an effort to erase the language, the culture, everything. That happened categorically. Mm -hmm. um, the thing that is more concerning, though, and, and you touched on it there, the federal government at several times did decide that, and I'm going to use their horrific language, the Indian experiment had failed. And at that point, they decided, well, we're just going to not provide them with resources anymore, and they'll go away. This was a federal sort of <laughs> mentality. Is that now that they're dependent on us, we'll just not feed them and they'll yeah. go away. So they were trying right. to see this happen. And very often in those cases, and this is a story we don't hear about, the religious institutions were actually pooling their own resources and working within the community yeah. to try and get close food, blankets, all of this mm -hmm. stuff. So that's a story we often, the, the federal government is very good at pointing the fingers um, and, 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 and mm -hmm. touting propaganda. We've seen churches burned and vandalized. It's interesting, no one's concerned about the government. And this residential school system was in place yeah. as late as recently as um, our, our current prime minister, probably not for long prime minister, but current prime minister's dad, he oversaw this. Um, so this is this is extremely yeah. troubling. Um, and it's it's not ancient, ancient history, but we need to remember that it's the government that did this. And the most atrocious atrocious things that have happened to First Nations communities, including things today, they're at the hands of the federal government, nobody else. So uh, that is worth keeping in mind. Uh, in other news, and uh, this is interesting because Stephen Gilbeau came out in support of Doug Ford, so you know something's gone wrong. Um, but uh, Premier mm -hmm. Doug Ford apologizes for breaking Green Belt Promise. I broke that promise, and for that I am very sorry. Um, we could play a, a quick clip of that if we if if it's available. 
I made a promise to you that I wouldn't touch the green belt. I broke that promise. And for that, I'm very, very sorry. I pride myself on keeping our promises. It was a mistake to open the green belt. It was a mistake to establish a process that wow. moved too fast. This process, it left too much room for some people to benefit over others. It caused people to question our motives. As a first step to earn back your trust, I'll be reversing the changes we made and won't make any yeah. changes to the green belt in the future. Because even if you do something for the right reasons, with the best of intentions, it can still be wrong. So, uh, one, as Paul Mitchell uh, tweeted and pointed out, hey, Dougie, where's your apology for locking down Ontario, bringing in mandates, discriminating against people and acquiring vaccine passports? But um, this contrite apology, you know what? I'm of two minds on this. If there are protected areas that have been established as protected areas for the sake of protecting them, messing with that when that's kind of what the people want, maybe not the best idea. I think that's why this is being reversed. Conversely, there is a housing crisis. People are homeless. People can't afford yes. homes. The intention with this was take a little bit of space here so we can make affordable housing. And they added a ton of space on the other side, more space for expansion. Right. Um, so this, I feel like this is political grandstanding. And I feel like this is an attack more than anything. And if they would have stuck with their guns and said, sorry, but people need places to live. We've got people in the streets. People can't do anything. Um, I think the mistake here was caving. Perhaps there was better solutions. Perhaps the mistake was going down this route rather than coming up with something better in the first something place. Else. But once you've mm -hmm. gone down this route, you've expanded, added to the green belt, extended it. It's bigger than it was before. Yeah. And people are going to get houses yeah, I, I, I think that that is critical. People, people arriving in this country. I actually spoke to someone. This was in Calgary, not on Ontario. But when we were coming back from the protest, I had a Somalian Uber driver, and he said he's going back to Somalia because of Justin Trudeau and because of yeah. a lack of housing, a lack of affordability. People go back to the mm -hmm. Ukraine because they can't stand to be here. They can't afford it. They're addressing an yeah, emergency I'm here. This too. Yeah, they're they're addressing an emergency here by extending an environmental area so that more affordable housing can go in. But uh, these progressives, they want these skyscraper cities that are very tight and compact, everyone living in little condos, nobody having kids running around in the backyard. They want to keep these cities trapped and growing vertically. Um, that's not what most people want. That's not affordable. A, a little condo downtown costs as much as a house out in the suburbs. Um, and they absolutely loathe that. Plus, if you look at a city sky, you can do all the science you want, but uh, if you look at a city horizon, Downtown is all gray and all the suburbs are green. I, I don't need science yeah. to tell me which one is better and more natural. So um, unfortunate to see them backtracking on this, but that's what it is with political you pressures. Know, I hope... Go ahead. I was just, I was just going to say, I don't know if we have the clip of when he first announced why they were doing it. He, it was like he acted like a conservative for the first time in years for a moment. And he was like, do, do you know how Oops. many people are coming <laughs> to Ontario? Can you not hear me? Yeah. Yeah, no, oh. I'm saying oops. Can you hear me? Like, yeah, no, oops, oh, he acted okay. like a conservative. Yeah, sorry, I thought. 
Yeah, like it's it's just so you it's so drastic. It's complete 180. His tail is between his legs. So what is this really about? What is this apology and this pushback about? And you're right, they added on. It would be different if they didn't sort of compensate it. And yeah. and to say that it was a mistake rather than just okay, you know, we'll take a different approach moving forward is nuts. But there is a, a, a yeah, there's the clip there. It's just I mean, it's quick. Let's play it to just see how much of a contrast it is from one thing to the next. Integrity Commissioner's report uh, showed that you sent the housing minister a mandate letter shortly after the last election. Why didn't you campaign about uh, opening up the Greenbelt and these land swaps? Well, I think I've answered this before, but I'll answer it again. You know, in the last election, we didn't have a housing crisis. And just up to a few months back, I didn't know the federal government was going to bring in over 500,000. Now we learn that those aren't accurate numbers. It's probably up to seven, 800,000 are arriving. Like I didn't get a phone call from the minister. I didn't get a phone call from the prime minister saying, surprise, surprise, we're dropping these many people into your province. And, and by the way, good luck, you deal with them. That's the reason we have to make sure that we use every tool in our toolbox to build homes. So. I, I ran on getting it done. I ran on building homes, making sure that we're building transit and infrastructure and schools and hospitals. And guess what, folks? We're the only government. We do what we say we're going to do. Some people may not like it, but we're going to get it done. Complete yeah. 180. I feel like that he was speaking more like naturally off the cuff, just answering it is like it is with a common sense approach. And then now he's like looking at the paper with this this latest apology coming out of it. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and, and I think that the solution here and a few people are mentioning this in the comments, though, is like the problem is, is the fact that we have a housing crisis and the, and the federal government is bringing people in en masse. They're also now funding effectively uh, these rental homes. They don't want anyone owning anything. But ultimately, if there is a crisis, Doug Ford should have said no. If the federal government and if progressives and liberal supporters want a solution here, if they don't want us having to move this land, they don't want us changing the green belt, they have to stop mass immigration that we can't handle. That would have been the solution here. The conservative thing yeah. to say is the federal government has put us in this situation. They're not being reasonable. They're not being responsible. If they can tell us right now that they're going to stop immigration, radically reduce immigration until such a time as we have strategies in place, we're going mm -hmm. to do this. If if uh, Gilbo, who's now saying it's good that they backed up on this, they, these they live in ivory towers, they live in mansions, they don't understand that people don't have houses right now, and that people who are graduating, people who have two people working in decent jobs, can't afford a house while they bring people in from foreign countries, uh, and there's no housing for them. That is the core of this issue. So I don't think also we should get sidetracked with just blaming Doug Ford or just blaming the response here. He should have gone on the offensive. Hopefully, Danielle Smith is taking notes. I think she is if we see her pushback against the government. Uh, she should have done the, or he should have done the Daniel Smith and told them to put a sock in it because people need houses. Either that or stop immigration. Those are the two solutions uh, here. Moving on, so we can get out of here on time. We've got about two minutes left. Um, there is an upcoming election in Manitoba, and to our friends in Manitoba, I want to talk uh, more about this. I'm going to do, be doing a little bit more research. We don't want to neglect you. Upcoming critical election. So on the next few live streams, we're going to touch on this yeah. a bit more. Uh, the situation, I believe the Tories basically botched uh, governance previously, handed it over to a NDP government, um, 
it'll be interesting to see what happens, but some good news on this front, I'm going to provide more insight on the election in the coming weeks, but interesting to see that both the Tories and the NDP have pledged no more COVID lockdowns uh, in their bids to form government. So this speaks to the fact that this is clearly a popular sentiment when both the NDP uh, and the Tories, and it's interesting because you see the NDP, I think in Saskatchewan as well, they're not going along with 2035. They're not going along with lockdowns. So Alberta's NDP is so radical, even by NDP standards. They're very much in the camp of Trudeau and the Liberals. And it's weird to see the NDP used to be sort of the more fringe. It's bizarre to see the right. Liberals as the extreme extreme and the NDPs in, <laughs> in the Prairie Provinces anyways being like, no, lockdowns are bad. No, we can't do 2035. Yeah. Um, so interesting to see, but our friends in Manitoba, uh, we, we we owe you a few. So we're going to be talking about the Manitoba election as it approaches, most certainly. And finally, Rumble, who you're probably watching us on right now, the Canadian-founded video platform that has gained currency among right-wing pundits and websites. Of course, only them. The last couple of weeks when I was watching boxing, sports, incredible live skateboarding events, uh, well, the, the, those don't factor in. It's just an extremist right-wing punditry page obviously i'm being facetious rumble has tons of content you know and it, for folks out there i'm a big fan of rumble i had the opportunity to meet some of their folks coincidentally on the street they're in town for work some of their executives had a good long chat with them there's a lot of content out there if you're sort of transitioning away from tv rumble has sports entertainment podcasts all this good stuff um but they rejected a request from british parliament to stop russell brand from being able to monetize his content which is the opposite of what youtube does all the time Now, I am a fan of the innocent until proven guilty approach, and I I am happy to see that Rumble is not caving to a government and defunding and that they're actually standing by their advocacy for free speech and their actions as a free speech platform. If you watch Rumble for any amount of time, there'll be commercials that are about referees telling YouTube uh, viewers what they can and can't do, Um, and it's pretty entertaining, but good to see them sort of standing up to a government, taking a stand, so support Rumble, a great platform, and uh, the the, the Russell Brand conversation altogether, it's so fresh, I don't, we've seen attempts at cancellation of people who speak out and question, as Russell Brand calls it, the matrix media, I don't think there's enough information out there for me to say one way or another what's happening here, but uh, it's good to see right. until that information comes out, Rumble isn't caving and canceling somebody. Yeah, we don't know. We'll have to wait to see what happens in the whole trial, but it's supposed to be innocent till proven guilty. And we live in a time where people get accused of many things that they are not doing. Um, so it's scary to see how fast you can j- get dropped from all the other platforms, YouTube, of course, on the bandwagon. So uh, you know, imagine if he didn't do it and then that yeah. all happens. So innocent exactly. till proven guilty. Yeah, exactly. A uh, couple rumble rants here. Uh, $5 from Wonder Woman Wells. Revel, check out what is happening in the small town of Pinoca an hour out of Edmonton. A landlord served a local business with a letter advising to take down the pride flag and the town is blowing up. Interesting. We will certainly look into that. Um, We also got $5 from Snowy Roof. You may not remember, but CPP is totally working, employer-funded, and none has been by the federal government. Oh, of course, like nothing is funded by the federal government. The the federal government is funded by us. Uh, And so thanks thanks for pointing that out, because that is a key Except for affirmative care. Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) However, Trudeau Sr. borrowed millions from CPP and never returned it. I'd have to look at the facts there because I don't know that story. But um, I I said I don't trust the federal government with my money. I don't necessarily trust the provincial government. I don't trust any government with my money. But uh, 
Uh, th this exactly. is certainly uh, this is certainly concerning, uh, and another reason, like uh, who know, like Trudeau might say, we're including all Ukrainians in our uh, retirement plan. Everyone gets pensioned. Like who knows what this guy is going to do? Or we're going to take the funds and invest them into solar energy so we can become a Star Trek culture. I don't know what Trudeau is going to do. He's unpredictable, uh, and, and I know that a local federal government that can be held accountable more easily, I um, mean held held accountable by local people. Well, that's better. So, yeah, interesting conversations. Really great to have those chats. They're really appreciated. I know, Dre, you've got reports and interviews coming up right away. So we will wrap it up on that. Dre, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Everyone in the studio who makes this show possible, thank you so very much for what you do. But ultimately and most importantly, thanks to everyone, whether it's coming up to us in the street or watching our reports or, okay. as we are today, watching our daily roundup. We really appreciate it. We couldn't do it without you. You keep the lights on. So thank you so much. And as always, for Rebel News, I'm Adam Sose.